0: This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at nissanusa.com. Most people pass through countries by choice to learn, to explore, to travel. Others aren't so lucky. There are entire populations of people out there who are forced from their homes. For a variety of reasons, mostly because it's no longer safe for them to be there. Today, you're going to hear an incredible story from one such person and how her illegal stay in Norway became a public event which reached the highest levels of government and eventually led to the creation of a new law. We'll also discuss the future of global migration and the important role that entrepreneurship can play, advice on how to flip any negative associations you may have with travel, how one small act of kindness can make an enormous impact, and so much more. It's all happening in today's show right now. Strap on in. Thank you for being here, and welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the
1: Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your
0: host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey, there, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you so much for spending a little time here with me today, letting me bringing a little travel into your ears. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms, to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. Where are you, my friend? Are you out on the road right now? Are you taking your dog for a walk, maybe out for a little hike nearby home, plotting and scheming your next trip? I don't know where you are, but wherever you are, you're joining tens of thousands of listeners from around the world in this beautiful, community we have the zero to travel caravan this listening community thank you for being a part of it get in touch with me anytime jason at zero to travel.com is my email absolutely love to hear from people listening to this show send me a picture from the road send me a picture from home just tell me your story tell me what's up and uh, of course if you haven't signed up over at zero to travel.com yet Uh, Giving away right now an exclusive audio bonus, The Three Best Ways to Save Money for Travel. So you can grab that and of course stay in the loop with everything we have going on off the podcast. Today's show is one of those shows that um, really makes you appreciate what you have. As a traveler, as somebody who can freely move about the world. And I was uh, just thinking the other day, I do live here in Oslo, Norway. It's been raining a lot. And I had this urge to be in America all of a sudden. This happens sometimes. And maybe you can relate to this. Whether you're living as an expat like I am, or you're a traveler and you've been on the road for a while, or maybe there was a pastime where you've been on the road, or maybe even you were just gone for the weekend and you missed home. You have that longing Certain things sometimes, and what happens to me living outside of my home country? I just wanted to get in the car, drive down to a good old-fashioned American diner, sit at the counter, order black coffee, a whole bunch of food, and just hang out, do something American. Like there's an American diner here, but the breakfast is eh, not so good. It's not the same experience, you know, uh, as it is when I'm home. So I, I sometimes I get these flashes of things that I crave from home. And that can be hard. And it can kind of send me down this sort of spiral of like, oh, man, I would just love to be there right now doing these like real specific american e things. I think you know what I'm talking about. And then I meet somebody like Maria, who <laughs> was my guest this week. We got to meet in person. When I got her email, I was like, wow, this is such an incredible story. I can't wait to talk to her and share this With you and talk about dose of gratitude because I was thinking back to my time learning Norwegian when I was in class here trying to learn Norwegian. Um, I'm gonna pick up with that story in a moment. I first quickly. I have to thank Tortuga Backpacks for supporting today's show. If you go to zerototravel.com slash Tortuga, that is the link that will not only take you to all the backpacks I recommend and the travel gear I recommend from them, but you also get 10% off by using that link. Now, I've mentioned the promo code many times on this show before. They're doing away with the promo code. So just use that link, zerototravel.com slash Tortuga. That will get you the 10% discount. And also, you can check out their stuff. You can check out the stuff I recommend. I was just out... Yesterday, it was pouring rain, like I mentioned. I had my Tortuga Outbreaker Day Pack. I'm always impressed by how much that holds and how packable it is. And I love the material. They use the sailcloth technology. So even in the pouring rain, our stuff didn't get soaked. And that's a bag I use almost every day. And the full-size Outbreaker is actually my go-to travel bag for any length trip, three weeks, three months, or three years. They also have packing cubes, a whole bunch of cool stuff. If you're looking for a gift for yourself or for somebody coming up this holiday... Don't look any further. Don't waste your time doing a bunch of research. Just go to zero to travel.com slash Tortuga. You will also get that 10% off when you go through that link and you'll be supporting my podcast. So thank you so very much for that. And thanks to them for supporting this show. Now, let me get back to this story really quick. I remember being in Norwegian class and thinking, oh, man, this is such a struggle to learn a language and having fun, though, and understanding more than ever that I'm here by choice because a lot of times I'd be sitting next to somebody from Syria, for example, who's coming from a war-torn country. They want to be home. They can't be home because there's this raging war going on. Um, they even maybe have family members who have died. Uh, it's affecting everybody over there. And this isn't a political podcast. We're not talking current events or anything like that. But this Stuff happens all over the world. People are forced from their homes for a variety of reasons, as I mentioned at the top, whether it's war, whether it's um, some kind of dangerous situation for them back at home, for whatever reason, uh, it, it just happens. And it also happens like it did for me. It's by choice. I'm here by choice. I get these you know, big reminders in, in my face, like meeting Maria was... Another great reminder for me, like, yeah, okay, it's okay to miss home sometimes. I don't want to diminish some of the struggles about living overseas or being gone for a long time because it's important to acknowledge your feelings about things. But at the same time, also balancing it with that gratitude uh, and understanding, hey, like, from my personal experience, I'm here by choice. A lot of people don't have that choice. And we also... Are lucky that we can travel. A lot of people don't have the ability to travel. They don't have a good passport. They don't have uh, the circumstances that allow them to travel. And these are things that can always keep you in check. If you're having any struggles around travel or um, your situation or whatever, you can always remember, hey, if you're listening to this and you have a passport that allows you to travel, you have opportunities to create travel for yourself, you are certainly one of the lucky ones. We are some of the lucky ones. So, On that note, I want to share this incredible story with you. It's so inspiring. I know you're going to love it. Please enjoy my interview with Maria. And on the back end, we'll talk a little bit more about migration. And I got a powerful quote to share with you. So stick around for that. I'll see you on the other side.
1: So is this okay? It's great. I feel like I have a red nose, you know. <laughs> I think the 1st of November or 1st of October is like Red Cross uh, Day. And then uh, you yeah. can go with a red nose uh, <laughs> like, They give out those.
0: Yeah. Oh, I haven't gotten one of those. Like no. a clown
1: nose? Yeah, like it's, yeah.
0: I want a clown nose. Well, I mean, we, we can say we're officially starting right now <laughs> okay. on the clown nose tip. But I'm not going to make you take off because you're holding a microphone with a red cover. Yeah. And that could double as a clown nose. I haven't yeah. thought about yeah. that. So, should we t- should we put our clown noses on and take a picture later now?
1: <laughs> Everything for social media.
0: I'm so excited to be sitting in a room in person here with uh, the author of this new book, Startup Migrants. And we're both here in Oslo, Norway. I'm with Maria Amelie. And I want to say welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend.
1: Thank you. I'm very (laughs) excited to be here.
0: I also want to say you have a wonderful smile. I didn't tell you that yet. Thank you. But we have got a lot to discuss today because um, your background is... Weird. Well, it's just (laughs) interesting and different. And when you emailed me, you talked about bringing this different travel perspective to the show and I mean as I was reading your email I was getting more and more excited because you know at the end you're like oh if this is uh I forget what you said exactly you're like if this isn't um if you're too busy or whatever don't worry and I'm like no no I'm not too busy this is like this is going to be awesome we're going to meet up and talk about this stuff because there are so many important issues here and also so many things that pertain to the world as it is today and I think um, in our minds we can get a little bit locked on what we think the world was And what it actually is right now and how migration is um, changing the world. And there's a lot of issues we're going to discuss around that. But I think, of course, the best place to start is going to be with your background, because this is kind of where everything starts for you, right? So you came to Norway in 2002 from the Caucasus.
1: So I was, I was born in the uh, Caucasus, in uh, uh, a small place called North Ossetia, which is part of Russia, but its own republic. And I left when I was uh, 12 years old. Uh, 12 years old. Uh, yes. We, I went to Moscow with my family uh, because my parents were persecuted, both politically and uh, business-wise. And uh, we tried to um, to live in Moscow, but the problems were still there. So They followed you there? Yeah. Um, well, I was I was little, so right. I kind of what I I just remember that it was very very difficult time for both my parents and also for their family. What um, were they
0: doing that got them?
1: My my parents were very very uh, entrepreneurial. My my dad started a company before during just before perestroika uh, at the time when it was actually illegal to 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 be an entrepreneur in uh, in Soviet Union. Uh, so, but he he had this uh, drive, so he started several companies. Uh, Doing like everything from small stuff for the kitchen uh, that people can buy for their uh, spices and salts and peppers, and then he uh, he built it up to become a, a bigger company with uh, both uh, a factory and uh, um, also a bakery and a restaurant. So he was yeah. I, but I'm, there
0: must have been other people being oh, entrepreneurs, oh, right? I yeah, he yeah. wasn't. I think so, it's,
1: it was like a wave all over the all over Russia, right? Mm.
0: But what was it about? Was, it, did, was he attracting too much of attention with the success of the business? Was it?
1: Yeah, my my mom was. She was a politician. She was. Um, both of them were very opinionated and kind of uh, supporting and trying to build a ecosystem for entrepreneurs for other entrepreneurs. Hmm. Uh, and I think they. It was. It was just a very turbulent time in in, in Russia and. Um, I find it still very difficult to talk about because it's kind of not my story it's 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 their story, and there's still many many things around it that i I don't quite understand or remember yeah um but what I see now is that um what I read now is that it is it was a very difficult time for entrepreneurs in Russia at the time. there are many of them who managed to build companies, yeah, but then many of them lost them as well. Hmm. We ended up uh, in Moscow, and actually in Moscow we were not living uh l- quite legally because even though Moscow um is we 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 were russian citizens you have to get a citizens or like a residence permit in russia really? in in moscow if you're staying there for a longer time hmm. and we didn't get it because it was very difficult and yeah so already from from maybe age of 12 i was i was living without Kind of in the in the gray area of uh, of documents and and papers mm.
0: um, my how that trend continued huh? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we'll get into that
1: at that time it was a lot of terrorism happening as well in in Russia yeah and there was um, also chechen war it was uh, a general difficult time for the country I think we were actually discriminated uh, and we were called. Um, people from uh, of caucasian nationality uh, and it was difficult to get a job uh, in the um, ads in the newspapers you can read uh, we have this apartment available but we're not renting out to people from of caucasian nationality and, and caucasian in caucasian is different in american uh, but it's in right. in <laughs> in uh, in russia it meant people from caucasus from this area yeah. because people there was so much terrorism there were several buildings that were been blown up during the time so yeah, it was it was a lot of uh, hmm. discrimination. I, th- I think it's much much better now. it's it's, it's changed so far as I know. Um, so we were basically <laughs> it wasn't a home <laughs> anywhere. Um, and we uh, decided my parents decided to apply for asylum in uh, Finland. So we went first actually to Finland. Uh, in around two
0: thousand. Well, before we get to this, I just yeah. wanted to ask you: do, do you have any siblings? No, that's okay. That's so it's just the me. three of you. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it can be scary for a kid to all of a sudden feel like you're losing a certain level of stability. You know, were you getting that sense at that time before you went to Finland? Like things, you're obviously, around the stress at the home. I'm sure your parents are having conversations in in front of you. Like, how did you feel as a as a twelve year old in that time?
1: Um. Very helpless and also very grown up. Like you have to take care of your yeah, parents.
0: Like kind of like stealing a part of your childhood in a way.
1: Yeah, I think so. And and not not by not, their not, not, they, not, 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 not by th- their fault. No, exactly. Just by circumstance is yeah, what I mean. Yeah, and I think when I meet uh, when I meet kids who are uh, who have been refugees most part of their lives, I don't they I don't look at them as kids. I, they are often tiny grown ups. Who have experienced so much, um, and sometimes um, in this situation, as a as a as a kid, you have to you see your parents hurting, and you don't do not want to show them that you're hurting too, because then all they will right. be more sad.
0: You feel like you have to be strong for them.
1: Yeah, so I've 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 learned through that. I've learned to be strong, and then eventually I learned to express my feelings too. So it's all okay came yeah. in, in balance, okay. <laughs> but it took it took a while, um, and I think it's also. Um, makes you like eventually it makes you very resilient and you get to know yourself when you're in a very tough situation yeah um and i'm i'm happy i had this journey but i don't want anyone else to have it right
0: this is always the tricky part about a journey like this right because it makes you who you are and all these wonderful things that you're doing and that you've done in your life wouldn't be without this journey but at the same time does that mean like you said, you don't yeah. want to. You, you don't want to wish these hardships on somebody, somebody else, like being discriminated against, being, uh, you know, forced to leave your country and leave all your businesses behind and things like that. Um, and it sounds like your dad was making an effort to you know help other people in that town. Yeah, he was
1: creating jobs for refugees right. in in where we in in the city we lived in. So it was such an irony when he one day became a refugee himself. We, we all became refugees. Yeah. Uh, and there were different people help, helping us and different reality. So
0: It's a total flip. Yeah. So leading up to the decision to apply for asylum in Finland, I imagine there was a lot of discussion Amongst your family, were you involved in that, or was it they just say one day, "Hey, we're going to Finland. Pack your bags. We got to get out." I of think
1: here. I was the one who was mostly excited about okay, going yeah. because I and I think it was unconsciously um, I, I just wanted to experience something else, mm. and I I didn't have so much freedom uh, growing up. In what um, way? I because of the uh, we lived so close. To the uh, war in Chechnya, that uh, uh, it was it was not very safe place. So I when I went to school, I had a I had a bodyguard following me, and then really? bodyguards keep <laughs> picking me up, and the, yeah, and then some because point because
0: they were afraid you would get kidnapped or something. Yeah, because that's, held for that's ransom because hap- they need money.
1: That was happening a lot in that area, and. Wow. Um, um, I read the uh, uh, Human Rights Convention, the, uh, all those beautiful words, and I kind of had this idealistic vision of Europe um, that maybe they will check out our case, uh, they will uh, research, and then they understand that we have real uh, reasons for for be granted
0: an asylum. Well, explain explain uh, to people. I want I want to get into that, uh, but explain to people what it means to apply for asylum, because that. Might be a foreign concept to some people. Yeah, it listening. was. It
1: was so foreign for us as well. We we had no idea. We just, you know, at the I don't think the, it was Google at the time. Like barely, barely Google. Right. Just trying to figure but out legally and, what and does talk that to mean. People. You get into a new country, uh, other than your home, mm-hmm. and then you say, "I'm uh, I'm asking for asylum," which means that I'm basically surrendering. I am persecuted because of my faith or race or. Uh, political, uh, religious, or any any other uh, reasons. And I would like to ask for protection. When you move to another country for work, yeah. you have a work visa or study visa. Uh, you have certain requirements, and then you have a job offer, and, and then you start living in the new country. But uh, if you are an asylum seeker, then... You you just have to make it across the border and then uh, ask the police or the asylum or the authorities to to protect you.
0: Right. Um, no. And and you don't know what's going to happen that day. No, I mean, you just no, we
1: just we just showed up uh, in Helsinki. We we took a train and then showed up in Helsinki and and said we would like to ask for protection and. Um, um, that wasn't very pleasant, actually, because they they took us uh, to the police, and then police uh, uh, went through all of our stuff. They were very very uh, suspicious of us, and then they and that's actually their procedure at that time. I don't know how it is now, but mm. they went through all of our stuff. They uh, interrogated us for two three hours, and then finally after that they said, "Okay, we you can ask for asylum. We will send you to this asylum camp in the middle of uh, uh, Finland." Uh, and you're gonna live there, and um, then you're gonna go to a um, an interview. So, because every asylum seeker have to go to, through an interview and explain the reasons why he or she is asking for protection. And then the uh, asylum authorities will decide whether you you need protection or not. And if you don't need protection, then you will be transported and deported out of the country. In some period of time and that
0: wasn't decided during the initial interview it's still like it's almost still purgatory you're held in this area while they still process your case
1: in some countries it takes a very short time and sometimes in some countries it's 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 different Uh, um but the there's also a dublin convention that once you have applied uh, in one country and then you are rejected and you go to the next country you will most likely be rejected there as well right. so once you have applied in one european country it's it's fixed for all so, so it's just a, so it's a challenge that for example in greece they have been struggling to process all the all the refugees all the interviews so it's it might take it might be a different process than in, in another european country
0: and while these cases are processing you're just living in this
1: Asylum camp, yeah. Asylum camp, yeah.
0: and they provide food and, and yeah, you get
1: you get very very tiny amount of money to to for food and um, maybe a bus card or a travel card. And uh, we did this both in Finland and in Norway, and both places we lived in a in asylum camps with people from all all kinds of different nationalities. Someone has escaped from war. Someone from conflict or politically or something people are on edge uh, because they all are unsure of their future yeah and they have to wait maybe between one year two years and some people even wait for five years um and people during, that are
0: used to working and being productive and yeah.
1: so and during this waiting time at least in norway there there are some who are allowed to work if they find a job um, and for the most part, it's very difficult to get um permission to work so um it's difficult to to study uh, You have Norwegian classes, but otherwise you don't have so much so we ended up in finland i i don't know i had I had really this romantic vision that that if they will see how much we suffer, then we will probably be allowed to stay. So um, and that we needed to show how much we wanted to be part of Finland and to contribute in the society. So my parents and I we went all in on <laughs> integration we, in being becoming part of the society. I, I actually became fluent in Finnish oh. uh, in during sixteen months uh, oh. there. Uh, my parents got uh, got uh, job offers and they f- they became very welcomed in the community. Um, but it didn't help because that's the the irony kind of with um, because the this this path of becoming an asylum seeker it is created for people who need protection It's not for people who uh, become very well integrated and get a job uh, but it's shouldn't like that be, it's like can't that be
0: the same person?
1: Yeah but and <laughs> I mean yeah exactly um, but if you, get a job, then you can move as a work migrant or study as a student or etc. So I mean,
0: that seems like it should be the natural path, right? Yeah. But yeah. then you're kind of in, you're stuck with this label.
1: Refugees are, are the ones who are struggling most with integrating, uh, becoming part of a new country. Uh, but but at the same time, they're not very, uh, they're not encouraged to integrate at the time when they wait <laughs> for their papers because it, there's no point for them to integrate like the, the the it it won't help their case it will help them uh, psychologically i think i think it's important to to try to still learn and and live
0: uh, yeah, move forward as if move things forward. are yeah exactly yeah. what you're saying is you're not going to walk into a meeting speaking fluent finished that's not going to change their
1: no no no
0: um, I mean, maybe it maybe depends least, on the individual. At least, not
1: level. for the for the government, like for the authorities. Yeah. As far as legally, mm, yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter. And
0: uh, a refugee is, by definition, somebody that's has sought asylum, essentially. Yeah.
1: Right? Yeah, because I'm not sure about the probably people listening who know. Yeah, so I mean the, these, us these terms, and legal yeah. definitions vary yeah. from country to but country. But I think of you course, you but. can be called refugee when you finally have your paper, like when you have. Yeah, you have permission uh, to stay. You have permission to stay. Yeah, right, And then okay. the time you're an asylum seeker.
0: Right, you're seeking and then you get permission, then you're a refugee. Yeah. It's, uh, we were talking earlier before we recorded, it's crazy to think how, um, you know, that maybe people that are discriminating against refugees when they're they're escaping a situation that, you know, anybody would do for their family, to protect their family, they would leave to go to another place. I mean, that's just... Yeah, um,
1: yeah and especially... Like the, the that my my parents couldn't work for them and they had to receive help from the government uh, a completely foreign government that also kind of destroyed some some part of their self-respect I think mm-hmm. um because you not only you come to a new country and ask for the help but you're also not allowed to contribute and you're not allowed to, to work legally and, right. uh, um, and also build you're, you're your just own self taking, self-esteem. but not yeah. by choice. This is, yeah. this is the system.
0: Yeah, The system's forcing you to just take, but not allowing you to give. Yeah, exactly. And being an entrepreneur like your dad was and creating jobs for people and things like that, and your mom being in politics and everybody being super active in their community, yeah. I mean, it's stealing this, this part of your identity. That's core to, yeah. this is part of who you are.
1: Yeah, you lost connections with all of your friends, with, with the family, with uh, all the people you studied and worked with. So that way, for me, it was actually easier to relocate uh, than for them because um, I I didn't have anything to compare yeah, with. You had time
0: uh, on your side. You could yeah. create a life anywhere. Yeah. And, and I, they could too, but they were coming from something they knew, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
0: I mean, you were bearing witness to these changes in real time, right? Was that hard to to watch uh, the energy or the to listen to the discussions, or just be a part of?
1: I think they they really tried to do their best f- and help me as well. Yeah, and they, I am. Um, I, I think they they did a lot in spite of uh, the traumatizing experiences they had to deal with. On their own in in the asylum camp. Mm-hmm. Um, so my my mom was like the first day I was gonna go to in Norway. If you're an asylum seeker, you can go to school, and it's no problem uh, until you are around um, 16, and then after that, to go to the next level, you have to be granted uh, permission to stay in the country. Uh, so I was I was between 15 and 16. And they said, "No, you can't go to school." And I was like, "What? How? How is it possible?" No, you have to wait until you get your papers, and then you can you can start your your this what was is, n- high school. N- now or, in Norway, or yeah, that was in Norway. you guys.
0: You guys left Finland. Yeah, sorry, I'm, ho- I'm no, that's okay. But <laughs> yeah. um, but you yeah. you did not get permission to stay. Is that what happened?
1: Yeah, so in Finland, I was not. Per- we, we we didn't get permission After to stay. Um, probably because I mean it's. It's difficult. Um, Could it be luck of the, the draw? The, you meet the, with the wrong person. The people and like, who nah. are coming maybe from the neighboring, from from the actual war, like from Chechnya, yeah, not from the neighboring republic, like we were. They some of them were were granted permission to stay, and because it's it's kind of like a political decision f- coming from upstairs that yeah. that okay we can grant them but not them <laughs> people from right. that area but not right. from that and area just so we kind of fell between all all chairs
0: actually. okay yeah. so then you just yeah. packed up and you're like okay guys on to the next country and then you
1: oh that was that was not our first idea but we just um our friends in finland they were very they tried to support us they gathered lots of uh, signatures in our support um, and tried to talk to the asylum authorities, but it didn't succeed. Uh, so they like, either you go back to to Russia or you go somewhere else.
0: Right. Um, and how, how, I mean, you guys so were there long it enough was, that you learned? It was
1: very, it was very like, it, it was a decision made in, in a couple of days. Like, wow. I came home from school and uh, and my <sighs> mom and dad and said, like, okay, we're packing, we're leaving yeah, to, tonight. <laughs> So, uh, and, and for me, it was, it wasn't the first time actually we've been in this kind of situation that I just, it was maybe third or fourth time I had to just, okay, we have to pack. So I've, okay, it's a, it's a bad and a good thing, but I'm really good at packing really fast. (laughs) Uh, Even if I have like apartment full of things, I will know what to take with me. uh, What are the important things? So I, we just packed everything and then, and then we, we left and we didn't, it was, I mean, we had no idea what we were doing. Like, no, there's, there's so many rumors in the um, communities in the asylum camp communities, and you have no idea where. And no one is right. Like, you're once you enter and you apply for asylum, you're part of this never-ending circle of, and you you don't know how to get. Like, the only way to get out is go back to to your country, mm. and maybe eventually when things uh, become better there, maybe you can do that. But if things are as bad as when you left, so it's like, there's not an option. So well, what, there else? Must be what consequences. else can we do? Are yeah. there
0: consequences if you go back to your country too? Because then they're like, hey, where of have course. you guys been? Yeah, Obviously,
1: yeah that, that too as well, especially if, um, uh, yeah, especially if you come from from more close countries. Yeah, And then I saw in the asylum camp, uh, several families who have been going from one country to another country in Europe, just, you know, in this and, and they as a refugee, as an asylum seeker, you don't get any psychological help. I mean you can ask, but it will take a while for you to get right. it in, in the guest case scenario. And then it won't be you need a translator and so it's not it's not very easy easily accessible. So you don't have actually someone to talk to uh, who can help you to figure it out. And then you you cannot afford you have um, some certain hours uh, to call a lawyer but then it all disappears like you had I think we had like 10 hours or something free lawyer help and then free legal advice and then we had to pay on our own so you kind of
0: you you it's the system. Yeah, you s- you kind of become part of the system. So okay, yeah.
1: so we ended up we in February we left from uh, Finland. We drove after up, staying up there for how long? What was sixteen sixteen months? Okay, yeah. Uh, so we drove up to the north because uh, we're thinking, okay, Norway. We, I don't. I have no idea about Norway. <laughs> we go there, um, so maybe they they will listen to our case. Uh, and then we went to up in the north because my, my parents were terrified to cross uh, more borders than necessary illegally mm. because mm. we could have gone through Sweden and then to Norway. Oh, I see. Yeah, but they're like, no, no, no. We go. We go Just to the over one. Yeah, yeah, we go to the north, and
0: they might not let you pass through Sweden, for example.
1: Yeah, and once we crossed the border, yeah, um, my mom was unconscious in the front seat. My dad was uh, driving. I I was very sad to miss my friends in Finland because that's that was actually the first time in my life I I I had I gotten to know people and I had friends and I went to the summer camp for the first time in my life. I had this mm. amazing freedom. Yeah. You um, felt
0: this freedom you didn't feel at home. No, no. You didn't have to walk around bodyguards and this yeah, type just of stuff. Like, yeah. Be a kid. Right. Um and my and then first thought, taken away that's
1: my first thought when I when we crossed the border to Norway is it's just Finland is very flat, yeah. right? It's super flat, and then it's it was it was like lap, We were driving through Lapland, the Rovaniemi, and it was beautiful. Lots of snow. We even I, th- I think we met some like I think deers. What do you call them?
0: Reindeer. Reindeers. Yeah,
1: yeah they're very cute was just standing in the middle of the road. <laughs> 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 and then we come to Norway and the first thing I see is is water and then I see lots of uh, mountains, not very high but mountains and it was it was so magical. It was dark but it was a lot of light from the snow. Um and I thought, "Oh my god, this is like um where I come from, uh, Caucasus, but it's even even better because mm-hmm. uh, I've always missed to have sea uh, to live by the sea yeah uh, and then my second thought is i'm not gonna even try to learn norwegian because or even get some friends because what's the point we're gonna uh, we're just gonna have to leave again like what <laughs> here i am That's still a in norway <laughs>
0: a kid, like teenager to, to uh, take on with no psychological support no I not, think and you don't even have a sibling to kind of talk with about you know so it's no yeah, it's a lot going on up here in your head, right? It uh, is.
1: And that's why that's why all this time, I've been writing a a, a diary. I had a notebook, and I've been writing. Hmm. that's that's how I managed to accomplish to write my first two books is by uh, going through all my notes. Um, and uh, so so this notebook kind of became my best friend yeah. who I could talk to anytime. And nobody was reading it. I was very sure of it. And uh, I I just... I could write about anything I wanted to. So that's why when I... Um, at some point I actually did a course. I did um, a project with uh, Save the Children here in Norway. Where we went to the uh, asylum camps. And we taught um, kids on how, to, how they can write. Oh. And how they can write diary. And maybe even mm. write an opinion piece in the newspaper. Uh, because I'm thinking... It's in such a uh, difficult situation. And if you don't have anyone to talk to, paper is your best friend. <laughs> like tr- at least you have that. So yeah, uh, you can draw, you can write, you can, yeah. Hmm.
0: That was your outlet. Yes. And oh, we're looking at two of your books right now. The, the one we're going to talk about the most today is Startup Migrants, which uh, you've been kind enough to bring me a copy of. I want to continue on with the, the Norway story because that, That ties in with this other book that we have here. It gets even crazier for you. I wanted to mention in Startup Migrants. At some point, uh, it said in the book that seeking asylum in Finland was you thought was one of the worst mistakes that your family made. You,
1: I mean, we 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 didn't feel that. uh, We didn't have any alternatives. I think the uh, asylum path was the only one. It was your greatest had, mistake is were yeah, the words in the well, book. The yeah. only one we had. Um, and later in life I've met people who are living in difficult conditions in their home countries and who say, Maybe I will apply for asylum. And I always say, Please don't. Like if you if you have any other opportunity to get out of the country uh, and go to Europe. Uh, don't apply for asylum. Try to do it
0: a different way. Be a
1: student. Try to get in as a student. Try to get any job, like anywhere in in European Union, for example. Or uh, because then you have you you're not becoming part of a system that is right. very uh, difficult and frustrating, and also yeah, I've seen people go become really crazy of of just. You know, having this authority out there who is deciding your future, and just this waiting and waiting. Yeah. Uh, I think if you if you have any opportunity to 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 do something yourself, to to be, to go as a student or to get a, a job offer, it's it's better to do that. But then, I th- so the seeking asylum is is definitely a last last option. Yeah, got ever. it. Yeah, yeah, so you're
0: saying. Yeah, you were saying you wish you could have done anything uh, to avoid that. So I understand. It's not, it's not that you were saying, oh, stay in a dangerous place, but it's more like try to find yeah. another way and use it as your last yeah. resort if there's no other mm. way. So you, got, you guys show up in Norway and...
1: Yeah, we show up in Norway. It'll, in It's winter, it's February, it's minus 20 degrees. It's cold, <laughs> <laughs> lots of snow. Yay. Yeah, and then we uh, apply for, um, for asylum there. Mm-hmm. and uh, the police is like super confused where we come from um, and we they sent us to Oslo we spent some time there in the asylum camp um, waiting for the interview and then they sent us to another asylum camp where we stay for a couple of years Yeah. so that was uh, a couple of years
0: and did you still not learn Norwegian and were you still kind of like hey I'm not going to do all this because at what point did well, you...
1: we arrived to this asylum camp spring 2002 um and my birthday was coming up I was becoming I was gonna become I think 17 eighteen and then this message came about me not uh, I, that I won't be able to go to school because I'm too old yeah. <laughs> if I would go to the next uh, to 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 school I need to get my papers in order and then I can go to school and yeah so I I suddenly had this realization that this is it. This is my life. I'm going to be here in the asylum camp with my parents, with all the other old people, <laughs> um, living every day, going to a Norwegian course twice a week, uh, not being able to work. Library was the only place I could go to, to, you know, just even see Norwegians. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I just like realized that it's not good enough. It's not. It's, I will not let someone decide uh, how my life is going to be. I am going to decide myself, um, even though my life has some certain limitations. So, uh, and I think my parents were part of the reason why I was, I wanted more like I wanted I was determined so my, my mom was like ha huh? you're not gonna go to, to school we need to do something about it so uh, we managed to get a meeting with a principal at the at the local school and he said well you don't speak Norwegian and we don't have uh, we don't have any space for you in the um, in the first class I don't know how how do you call it um, yeah
0: high school high school yeah, yeah
1: we don't have uh, space for you in the in the in the first uh, year, but you can maybe uh, start on the second year uh, of of the school, of yeah. <laughs> the high school. So I was like, okay, watch me. <laughs> <laughs> so I came back uh, three months later after the summer vacation um, and I was speaking some Norwegian. Uh, so I, decide, I just studied a lot on my own uh, and I also managed to find some Norwegians I can talk to uh, and practice my, my, my language with. So I started in the second year. And as soon as I started there, they sent me to a... Um, because you, you have Norwegian, um, Norwegian class... Norwegian language uh, class for Norwegians. And then you have four people who don't speak so well in Norwegian. And they put me in the second class with the, all all the others who don't speak so well Norwegian. Yeah. And I got really mad. I was like, oh. no, no way. <laughs> I, w- I want to be with all others because how, how else I'm going to learn? Yeah. So I uh, I went and I, I got the best Race. By the end of the two years, I got yeah. the best grades in the High Norwegian. <laughs> <laughs> but wow, that I, it is was impressive. it was a lot of a lot of studying. Yeah. Um, but you were determined. Yeah, and also I think it also helped that I learned Finnish first because I I I understood how to learn languages. Okay. Yeah. So um, that's an important
0: point. I think yeah. I not not one I fully grasped until I learned Norwegian to the extent that I've learned it. But I realized afterwards, I'm like, oh yeah, this is. Just learning another language is a skill yeah. in itself. Like how to how to go about learning it, yeah. and then I I can see how a second or a th- I should say a third or fourth language could be easier. Yeah, I think so each time because you're you've at least had a refresher on like grammar and sentence structure, and then you can kind of make comparisons to two other languages. But
1: yeah, you already know a lot of words in another in a new language because. You, you can recognize especially like Norwegian now you can go and learn German <laughs> yeah. and there are many Can s- I? Yeah you can <laughs> there are similar <laughs> <No>. words <laughs> Why
0: don't I focus on my Norwegian first? <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: Yeah Norwegians love speak in, to speak English to you the, yeah. to practice their English so I had to I had to say to my friends like you're not allowed to talk to yeah. See, in English to, a better, to me I have yeah. to
0: do a better job of that <laughs> but it must have been relief as a teenager at this low point where you're like kind of realizing, whatever, 17, 18 years old thinking, I mean, I can't imagine being that age, especially you just want to be a teenager, like do teenage things, hang out with other teenagers. You're like, I'm gonna be in this, you know, asylum seeking camp with all these older people. And like, this is, I mean, God, that that would be like tough to kind of process. And then, um, but then taking that as motivation to kind of make something happen and then making it happen.
1: Yeah, I was very happy. I yeah. I went to school. I managed to to get into dance school in the evenings as well. Hmm. So it was I was busy all the time. I I barely was at the at the camp. Right.
0: Um, you were just like I'm gonna just learn things and yeah. do things.
1: And the first day of school, I was like, I was a bit worried. Like, will anyone like me? And right. and my mom. I Was like, of course, everyone's going to like you. <laughs> so I had, I had a very positive attitude when yeah. I went to school. So I think, I think that helped as well, and that's something I take with me uh, when people struggle, maybe to to feel welcomed in a new country. You just right, yeah. You you have to change your own attitude first. I think.
0: Fast forward a little bit. I mean, you live you live in Norway for a period of time.
1: Yes, but you're not. And then stuff happens. Yeah.
0: So, because I'm looking at this book right now, you want to explain the background of this book. It's uh, it's Ulovli norsk,
1: illegally Norwegian, illegally
0: mm. Norwegian. How old were you when you wrote this book?
1: I was twenty-four.
0: Okay. Yeah. So, people listening that are outside of Norway won't maybe know what this is, but this was a big deal in Norway. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It was. Um, um... Talk about this time in your life.
1: In 2004, we got the final rejection letter from the asylum authorities in Norway.
0: After being here and going to for, school? For and, two years, yeah. yeah.
1: The thing, same thing again. Lots of signatures and our support, lots of campaigns. Nothing helped. Um, and I, again, uh, also my mom, actually, uh, she said to me, you know, Maria, our situation is very unsure here. But I think you should apply to university anyway. <laughs> uh, and I said, like, no, it's not. St- How can they admit me if right. we're not even allowed to be in the country yeah. now?
0: How does that work?
1: Yeah. And she said, no, you should apply. Well, like, you, you, what what do you've got what to, do lose? You have to lose? Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I applied and I wrote that I don't have any papers. I don't. Ha- I I actually I attached a letter to the to to the application and said I don't have any letter, um, any citizenship, any passport right now. I don't have anything, but I really would like to study, and I wanted to study social anthropology. Um, And the, and I sent it. And during summer of 2004, um, I I I got in on my first choice of the university, uh, which was 700 kilometers away. How? (laughs) I think um, what happened is. Is that during the high school I got my uh, I got my all of my documents I I, I took the extra exams I needed to oh, take. Okay. So she so had all the paperwork. That I had all gone the, through the classes. Yes, and, everything. and the principal at that at that school he knew that I was in the country without any permission to stay, that I was yeah. rejected, but he said. Uh, you know, you studied so hard. I think you should get a diploma anyway. Mm. Um, so the diploma I got, it has my uh, my social security number, my asylum seeker security number. Okay, yeah. Um, so we were not hiding anything, um, and uh, I I was allowed to stay, with um, to study. I was allowed to study. Yeah. With that, he's one of the many people who showed this kind of act of civil disobedience. In a small way, hmm. that had such a huge impact for me uh, that I still remember. So I, I always it's people say, people helping you along the way. Yeah, I mean, you, yes, you can go and change the world, but you can also make a difference for a a a refugee, for example. And and I was I was that person. I I was nobody, but people still yeah. wanted to, to help. Um, so
0: I like that these tiny mm-hmm. acts of rebellion that yeah. kind of like, hey, this person deserves this even if they don't have this legal status or whatever it's
1: so he by that i think the once i applied to university they said okay maybe it's a rare case i don't know what they said <laughs> yeah um but you got in but i got in and i started must have
0: been jumping for joy that day i was very happy yeah <laughs> and then your parents said well we're not leaving we're just going to stay here illegally Does that mean
1: yes so we we suddenly we had this whole community of people around us who were supporting us uh, with job, we were cleaning houses uh, and to to support ourselves. And um, kind of, I don't know, we're very, I um, kind of who respected us, who didn't look at us as criminals, or who understood that nobody chooses voluntarily to be in this situation. Yeah, we, we just stayed, and I I would never ever thought that I would become an undocumented. Immigrant in Europe, like is it's it was it's so far away right. from everything, but then. It, but you're
0: not going to pass up this opportunity to go to university and.
1: No, I I I wanted to study. This <laughs> was your <laughs> so, chance. Yeah, um, so I moved on my own to this uh, city, uh, and I got a job as a clean cleaning private homes, uh, because I couldn't I couldn't uh, work legally, yeah. um, and I was afraid that I didn't have. Like my other options were really shady.
0: <laughs> right. When
1: you're an undocumented immigrant, you, it's, you're very, it's all of this. It can be human trafficking, abuse, it's uh, people not being paid. So I had to make, to find like the most safest solution.
0: Yeah. How do you find that? Just word of mouth or?
1: I put an ad in the newspaper. Did you? Yeah. yeah. Um, and. Yeah, just got got people, got a couple of clients, and yeah. then they recommended me, and then yeah, that's yeah, how I spent.
0: Yeah. And they would just pay cash, and they would pay cash, yeah. and
1: then yeah, it was I I felt really bad about it because yeah. I mean I, you know, yes, it's uh, terrible to it's uh, to pay lots of taxes <laughs> from your income, <laughs> but then again, it's also really nice because you you. Pay for your opportunity to be part of a society, right? See, this is
0: um, important for people to hear because I mean, you you would have been more than happy to be a part of the system and pay your taxes, but they you didn't have a choice. I yeah. mean, this was what you had to do.
1: I, I studied for five years. I got my master's degree too. Congratulations <laughs> in uh, innovation and technology because I wanted to to look more into that and and then I was like. So what I do, what, what what I what is it I can do now? I had several job offers.
0: And where were your parents living this um, whole time? they
1: live in in another city in Norway. Okay, yeah. And they are also trying to get by on their mm-hmm. own. And I was thinking what what is my future? Like what is And then I started to talk to lawyers and I realized that if I go if I leave the country now and I go back to Russia to get my papers uh, sorted out. That I I will be banned expelled from uh, Norway and the whole Schengen for maybe ten years or even forever because Norway has some of the strictest uh, laws on on this in Europe if you are even one day uh, in the country illegally you will uh, you will get banned um, from from Schengen uh, so I <laughs> suddenly hit me oh wow so I w- once again I will lose my home my friends. Everything I've that has been that's made me who I am, but I will get my papers. I will I will manage to retrieve my citizenship in in Russia and, yeah. and maybe. That was one option. The second option was fake passport. Should I buy a fake passport? Like I I really was considering. Wow. What, what is it what is it that I can do now? And that um, involves
0: finding some black market and... no
1: I, I didn't go didn't go so far no. but I just realized no, that's not an option because I will always be afraid that someone yeah. will expose me. I don't want to live my life like this right um, And then I decided okay, I had an event with uh, with a very famous Norwegian professor in social anthropology who kind of bec- become my mentor over the years and we've been emailing and I told him about my situation and then I and then I just joked I said maybe I should write a book about it um kind of like looking at him yeah. <laughs> and he said yes you should it's it's now or never. It's it's a tipping point in the political debate on this on this topic. And using using your story, your to book could be a good contribution. Ex- and the fact that wow. he believed that I can write a book and my my story was worth telling. Yeah, I I, I just started writing. Um, I started writing, wow. and I decided.
0: Was it scary to share with people that you were not document integrant? Were you afraid that somebody would? Yeah, I was very, keep that as a secret? very careful and, who I. Uh, yeah. yeah,
1: and I at some point it also became. It didn't matter to share it because who I am, like a normal Norwegian person, uh, was a much bigger part of, of my life than yeah. than my my legal status. So it's kind of it was right. also a bit confusing who I was. So I decided, okay, I will um, I will write a book, and then I went back to all my notebooks and I uh, managed to construct a book out of it. I was thinking, shall I write it, uh, publish the book anonymously? Um, because as soon, as soon as I would be out there, I, w- I would be exposed. So yeah. the press, the, the media, the police, everyone could find me very easily. That was uh, it. Yeah. Um, but then I decided, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna publish with my, with the name I choose, and I'm gonna publish it with my face on the book.
0: So at that <laughs> point, which is what I'm looking at right now, is your face on the book? I mean, at that point. Had you made a conscious decision that you were willing to give everything up for sharing your beliefs I just, around this cause and th- your story? I or just
1: thought it's it's all gonna go to hell anyway. So how can I what
0: what good could I do? Uh, yeah, how
1: what choice can I take in this situation to make most impact for the society yeah. for the people maybe in the similar situation? So yeah, the
0: intention behind the book was. To change some laws or to To, just expose the the system for what it is, just tell the story behind it? I
1: wanted to show how much Norwegians um, supported me because the narrative in the media at that time was very dehumanizing when when people were speaking about refugees. So
0: this was positive for Norwegians? Yeah, yeah, it was like... You were talking about the... Because I haven't read this book because you just gave it to me and it's all Norwegian, so it'll take me a while to read it. But but, uh, yeah, the stories in here, okay, are more focused on the people that helped you out along the way? Is that yeah, and
1: how, how I just survived here, kind of to show that, um, because the narrative in the media was a lot about criminal asylum seekers. And by that, they meant me too. I, right. I was also, they were lumping I, you I, in I was a that. criminal yeah, right. asylum seeker. So
0: you wanted to share a story of a real but, person. Yeah, you. and
1: someone who came here as, uh, as a minor um, and... In a very weird life circumstances, that it's nothing that I planned. It's and and I don't. Uh, people are not living illegally because it's fun. It's mm. be, because there's like, what else can I do? That's right. That's what we're trying to. Right. All to, the stuff to, we've talked about yeah. today. Yeah. So I wanted just to show everything. So it's it's very. And I, I wanted to show how angry I was with in meeting with asylum authorities. How exhausting it was. Um, and also show how how much I love this country how how, I, how it just it became my home um, I, I, I I don't ha- I didn't know anything else that's that's what I knew like Norway. so
0: you found a traditional publisher here in Norway so
1: yes we w- the professor uh, yes. this
0: is gutsy Maria <laughs> I gotta say I really admire. It's more like an American story, right? Not, not a very Norwegian Scandinavian story. I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the guts it takes, and you put your face on <laughs> the book and just yeah. put it all out there. Yeah. Uh, really, really a beautiful thing. Oh, what a beautiful intention behind the book, too. Uh, okay, so then t- tell people what happened. <laughs> I published the book a year after. It, things went crazy, uh, September right? September
1: 2010. and What did
0: your publisher say? Like, this is gonna be insane or, yeah, or were they just They, like, were,
1: they were very, um, they realized that I was in a very vulnerable situation, so they were very considerate. Um, and I'm very grateful for them. I have good connections with them still. They could, have, uh, they could have said, oh, this is going to be a bestseller. Let's use her. Right. But they were very, they met my family. They talked a lot whether we wanted to do this or not. Um, they were considerate yeah. of your individual circumstance. Yeah. And I think it's important to for publishers to to think like this when they publish nonfiction books, biographies. Your
0: parents must have been, What? how did they feel about it?
1: they They wanted me to write the book and so, okay. so you guys were all yeah. on board, yeah. You put it out. They, it does they become, supported me as well.
0: It did become a bestseller, didn't it?
1: Yeah, it did become a bestseller in Norway that fall, fall of two thousand and ten. I was a lot of in the media. I was very I didn't know what was happening.
0: <laughs> it was like a whirlwind, we would say. It's yeah, just it's things just, happening um, all the time
1: i and then I got a prize, Norwegian of the Year. <laughs>
0: <laughs> really? Yeah. From uh...
1: from a magazine. They, okay. Yeah, in 2010, and was that that gave me even more attention, um, and then in January 2011, I went to do a lecture at School of uh, Nansen, uh, and Nansen is a great Norwegian hero. He's also one of the people who uh, who made UN. Uh, Happen, Hmm. Uh, and he was one of the people who who helped people without citizenship in uh, uh, in south of Russia, Armenia, Georgia, that area, with their passports uh, in like 1900. Um, So he was a very important figure in Norway, and there was very great honor to be invited to do a lecture there and I did lecture and I, we went with some friends out on the street just to, to go for a tour and then there were two cars that just suddenly stopped in the middle of the street and I I was just like, I was happy I was talking, I didn't notice anything and then suddenly there was a this policeman uh, this man standing in front of me and then he sh- showed me his police badge and he's saying, I'm here to arrest you <laughs> and I thought it was a joke. Right. Seriously, I thought someone pranked me to yeah. to, to film it. Because at then, that
0: point, how many months had the book been out? Uh,
1: around six months. Okay, or something, yeah. yeah. So you've
0: been doing all this stuff, and nobody's come no, to, to and, arrest and, you yet. And you and would my, think it would happen. Yeah,
1: and my lawyer had sent in uh, a a letter to the police and to the asylum authorities asking for uh, an interview, so I could give an interview, and so that could they could consider my my application because when I came to Norway I was I was just a part of my parents' application. So mm-hmm. I never got to tell my story. I see. Okay. So my my lawyer asked for that and we didn't hear anything. Yeah. So it was like okay, they're probably thinking. And then suddenly there are two police cars, there are twelve policemen and they they show me in show me in the car. Um, and they just start driving and my friends and the last thing I, I, I yell is to my friends is like, please call my lawyer. His name is that. And that, uh, and my friends were just so shocked. Um, the students at the school, uh, were shocked. Um, and they took me to the police, starts driving and the, I sit with the two policemen in the back and they say, so we've read your book. It's really good. (laughs) Thanks.
0: (laughs) (laughs) thanks <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> can you let me out of the car now, please? <laughs> yeah
1: and i I don't know i but i i hmm. I just went into their like survival mode, so I was trying to think what's happening, what are the next steps how I, I just didn't want to show them that I was weak right um,
0: you went back to that. <laughs> <laughs> 12 13 year old girl that yeah. was like I'm going to get through this. <laughs>
1: yeah, you're not you're not going to enjoy my pain.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, so they they took me to asylum jail called Trandum and it is a place that's been criticized by UN uh, many times. For the uh, for the human rights violations. That's I- surprising in Norway,
0: because Norway is always kind of featured as like having these nice jails and sort of being progressive. <laughs> yeah, they do in have nice
1: jails for people with legal status. <laughs>
0: oh, I see. Okay, what was this place like?
1: Uh, it was it was kind of it's it's a detention camp, but it's I feel it's like it's more of a jail, and it's right by the uh, Oslo airport. So uh, the goal of this place is uh, to arrest. Um, undocumented immigrants, and then uh, deport them right away. They may stay maybe one or two nights at this place, and then they will be deported. That pr- the problem is that people stay there much longer than a couple of nights. They, some stay a week or two, or hmm. at least when I was there. I hmm. don't know how it is now. They drive me there, and by that time, the, my case explodes in the media. Hmm. It's on, in every news outlet. And, um, and, and
0: globally... Right? Yeah, it's also exploded globally as well. Yeah, there were like Spiegel articles.
1: and BBC and I arrived there and before I'm sent to the to my room or cell or how you call it, I need to be body searched. So they that's that's apparently a a, a routine. So they have to like body search me. That was quite shocking experience and they put me in the room, they lock the door and I I'm just there. Alone, and I have no idea what's happening. If they're going to be deporting me tomorrow, I, I, I have no idea. So, so I stayed there for one week, um, and there were a lot of press coming to visit me. I got to know the other people who were there. I was placed in this like family section where there were people with, with kids. I was uh, I didn't have access to the newspapers or to internet or even phone. Um, I met with my lawyer sometimes, and then. Um, it turned out that he took my my arrest to to the court, and it went so far as Supreme Court uh, in Norway, and the Supreme Court within said a, within a week within uh, yeah within within a week, uh, wow. uh, and the Supreme because like it was through three three levels yeah. of courts because
0: and, now you became a representation of a larger issue. At yes. that point, it wasn't about you, the individual anymore. Mm when it goes into the court, so they're saying, all right, we're going to set a precedence around yeah, so they, this.
1: So they, what the Supreme Court said is that it was, um, uh, it was bad. They, they used a, uh, a German expression. I think it was the, yeah, I'm not going to, finger fingerspitzgefühl, to arrest me. Um, they could have just, you know, called me in for an interview and see, sa- yeah. told me that they need to deport me. Yeah. So I was very happy about that, that they, the, they,
0: they acknowledged that that was wrong. That was yeah. handled in uh, the wrong way.
1: Yeah. So they let me out, but they still said we need to dep- deport you. Suddenly, um, we don't know when. <laughs> and by the time the prime minister of uh, uh, Norway <laughs> was in the media <laughs> against me, like personally saying that he was that um, that we need to depur- deport her. What happened is that there was this tech magazine who read about my case and uh, in one day, like they discussed it in the meeting at nine o'clock in the morning and then by the two o'clock, the same day, they decided we want to hire you. So they've never met me, but they decided we want to hire you. Like we don't care about the politics. But
0: we That's so we, have, <laughs> sweet. I don't know. I, I sweet is probably the wrong word, but it's making me tear up a little that there was people getting in a room trying to figure out like another example of like some of that help, right? Like how can
1: yeah what how can what we can keep do? Maria
0: here? This is wrong.
1: Yeah, yeah. They're like she's she can write. She she works with tech stuff. Why not? We'll she's find a, a talent place for well, her. yeah. Right. <laughs> so I so they. They threw themselves into this, the whole very unsure landscape of what my life is going to be, right? Um, and that actually saved me. I think that and all the demonstrations on the streets. There were so many people out there supporting, uh, supporting me, and also people were marching, supporting for you. other people who were in the similar situation. It so must it have been of, surreal. <laughs> it was surreal. It was. In this asylum jail one morning, I woke up and I was like, why is there so many people outside? And then apparently nobody told me there was demonstration outside in in support of me and other people who were at uh, Trondheim. (laughs) So it was, yeah, it was a lot of stuff happening. I was deported um, by the end of uh, January, but I came back to Norway three months later on a work visa. So what when ha- you were
0: deported, they sent you back to Russia. They
1: sent me to Moscow, which was okay. uh, which was like, <laughs> yeah. Um, and
0: what? Did, what? Just curious. What did you do there? So did you just show so, up? You're like, all right. Uh. I went
1: through the border control in, in in Moscow, and I I had to have like because I didn't have proper papers. All you get when you are deported, all you get is like this tiny paper. Uh, just with a with a stamp and that says you can take this and go and get a passport at <laughs> <It's> somewhere <laughs> so it's very and then i wasn't from moscow so technically they should have t- deported me back to to caucasus where where right. some maybe someone i knew was um and then the uh, the border people in uh, in moscow they're like why the hell are they deporting you like, aren't you like Norwegian of the year? <laughs>
0: <laughs> they, knew. they knew. They knew who you were because
1: I was. I was uh, in all the headlines in in
0: Russia as well <laughs> that day. Oh, wow.
1: <laughs> so that was that was they, surreal. They reported
0: their Norwegian of the year. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. So, but the, actually, the so so I spent three months there, and I went from an office to office through all through the Russian bureaucracy. Um, and I got my passport, and they okay. were very uh, they were very like thorough they
0: they followed the protocol they what about your parents? Did they get kicked out too at the same time yeah they
1: eventually they they got sick during this time. It was a very tough time for them to watch what was all happening in the media and they they went um, uh, they had to get some help and uh, eventually they also got their papers in order and they they left hmm. because there was no hope for them to stay in Norway.
0: And they're still not in Norway,
1: no, right? No, no, they... no. But they they have they've got all the documents in in Europe, so they can. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what happened is that they deported me, but um, because this this uh, idea about job offer came up, so uh, the opposition um, in the government who was supporting me. They managed to negotiate a deal with the uh, prime minister and his party uh, that we can, cr- that they can create a new type of law that would allow me and people in similar situation to come back on a job offer. So
0: <laughs> they made a whole new law. They for made you. a whole new law. What's yeah. the law called? <laughs>
1: Well, Lex Amelie, That's and how. It's, the,
0: and it's a it's a law right it now. It's exists. a Norwegian yeah. law. It's, yeah, it's it's a tiny law. It's yeah. it
1: doesn't help like hundreds, right. but it helps maybe two, three, five people um, a year, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's a law for people who are undocumented, uh, but who have a job offer locally in Norway and maybe proper education or relevant education, mm. and so they can leave the country and. Apply for a uh, work permit from their home country mm. so it's very uh, but it's still it's still um, there may be fifteen people who were allowed to stay on that law and mm. they as soon as they came back to Norway, they became taxpayers, so they had a job offer they started working right away um, and it kind of it it was a it was a miracle because otherwise. If you leave the country, you will be expelled. You will be banned from Schengen yeah. for many, many years. So it kind of works. Work, I mean, works they, around they made it. a law so you could
0: come back. Yeah, basically. So, yeah. so that's yeah. that is a miracle in some way. Yeah, you know? it
1: is. It is. It's. It's. I would never would
0: have thought that could happen. Like, the pen is mightier than the sword, as they say. Oh. Right? Yes. <laughs> no, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> so that's. Yeah. Uh, that's an incredible story.
1: That's how I ended up working with tech uh, and entrepreneurship. Yeah. Um, became very, very passionate uh, about um, entrepreneurs, how people... And then I kind of went back to what my parents were doing, like building the ecosystem mm. for entrepreneurs. I'm, I'm there now myself again.
0: You're helping um, refugees get jobs, just yeah. like your your yeah. father was doing.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's all going in circles. Mm-hmm. But it, it took me actually um, a while to... I've interviewed many of some of the most successful uh, founders in Norway and also Nordics. And it's usually white male people. <laughs> yeah. And some of them have amazing stories. But after talking to, to many of them, uh, I just realized that they are not superhuman. They, they are just normal people. Right. They just tried. They started something. Um, and then I realized that some of my life experience as a refugee, as, as a migrant um, was kind of useful if I would start a company myself. Hmm. And I, I never did this connection between those two because I always thought, no, no, I'm not gonna become an entrepreneur myself. But then I started thinking, well, I am really good at, with risk. Like I, after, after you've risked so much previously in your life, Starting a company is not such a big risk. No, I mean, this is, <laughs> I'm
0: looking again like, down at you're this not, book. You're not like die that's of <laughs> that's a big risk putting yourself out there in that way. Yeah. This is like yeah. being an entrepreneur. That's like I'm going to do that in my sleep. <laughs> yeah, <it's laughs> For you, it's still scary. But then I
1: then I try to think of. Well, you went to the to this asylum jail, and that was much worse. Yeah. So. This is nothing. And then you also learn to be resilient. I mean, I've lived on a very little budget for many years. So I, I'm i used to, uh, you have to save and as an entrepreneur, at least in the beginning. So I'm used to to not spend too much money. Um, and also you see new solutions. I, I noticed that because I have my perspective of, uh, I have like, I, I, can, I can look at the world through very different lenses. I can look it through a lens of someone who's, who was undocumented, and how? What does it mean to not have papers in the mm. society? And then I can look at it as a Norwegian, uh, and then as a, someone who is a refugee who has come from totally different conditions. Yeah. So that th- to being able to view every problem or challenge or innovation through these three lenses, I think helps mm. to create some new products, new um, new technologies, new ideas. Yeah. Um, so I, so yeah, so that's how I ended up thinking of writing more about uh, going back to migrant and refugee theme, because I was away from that for many years and was all in tech. Uh, but then I decided. Hmm. I thought there are many migrants in Europe, and many of them are very entrepreneurial. Uh, what are their stories? How how do they contribute to uh, to the economy of Europe? Um, and then I realized we found a lot of stats on, um, that migrants are very entrepreneurial and right. sometimes even more entrepreneurial than the local population. Uh, but there, because of this, um, negative narrative around migration, we often don't hear their stories, the stories of people who succeed, who, who come up with something and have used their migrant background to create something.
0: Yeah, so when you say um, migrants, just to be clear, to create context for this conversation, because we're going to be talking about your work with startup migrants now, and I think some of the issues around that. And also, I wanna come back, we can circle back to this at the end, but um, I wanna talk about how your experience going from country to country as a refugee, um, you mentioned in your original email how that's kind of changed your travel and how you now had to kind of hack travel for yourself in order to enjoy it. Which I understand if you're forced to go from country to country, that's not an enjoyable thing. But when it's a lot different to do it for pleasure, we can talk about um, it now. If you want. So, yeah. well, no, I think I think we should I think we should come back to that because yeah. we're getting into um, some of the dialogue around startup migrants, which is your the book you have out now, and by the way, that's on Amazon, and that is in English. Is this other book, Illegally Norwegian? Is that in English no, as well? No, okay, but I really
1: wanted, wanted to okay. translate So if any English, publishers yeah. are listening, they can
0: <laughs> yeah. contact. Um, now, but you said, uh, like, one of the intentions behind Startup Migrants was, you said there are books on migration, books on entrepreneurship, books on startup ecosystems, and books on the refugee crisis, but not a single book that combines these topics. And uh, another thing you said in the book is, right at the end of the intro, which I thought was a great thing, you said, we acknowledge that migration is a difficult issue, but in this book, our goal is to look for opportunities. I think just that one sentence is such a huge uh, intention to put behind a book like this and really a a way to kind of think about what is our intention as a society around some of these things. You think about migration or mass migration. I mean, that's kind of, a stone cold fact it's only going to become more of a thing because of climate change there's just all kinds of stuff going around that affects how people move around the world i just wanted to highlight that intention behind the book because i think that's also a very uh positive intention to have when we're trying to solve these types of problems right there's like a couple ways to look at it you can look at it the other way and say well how can we how can we stop this from happening how can we keep these people out or you're saying, "Hey, this is a difficult issue, but um, let's look for the opportunities here." It's, it's it's just a healthy way to approach the same problem, right? So I yes. just wanted to commend you on that. Do you want to expand on anything I just said around your intention for this book? Yes. So and your work because this ties in with what you're doing now.
1: Yes. So we uh, we started a company called Startup Migrants, and we wrote a book as well. Yeah. So it kind of all happened suddenly me with me and my co-founder strom Olsen, who also wrote the book uh, with me in Europe something was happening there were suddenly so many co-working spaces incubators accelerators all this hype uh, hyped places yeah. to to be an entrepreneur um, and we also noticed that something was happening with uh, with migrants uh, and by migrants we we look into we define them in three groups migrants from outside of EU uh, migrants in from from EU, and then you have refugees Mm -hmm. who came and applied and got their legal status as refugees. Uh, So we noticed that all three groups uh, were on the move in in Europe, and nobody was actually speaking so much about it. Um, And then after the refugee crisis, crisis, we also noticed that there were so many both NGOs, social entrepreneurs, private initiatives popping up everywhere, in order to help uh, refugees yeah. uh, in some way, either to get them a job or to help them with this, to start a company. So it is a growing ecosystem of. Um, on this field and I think uh, we we kind of captured, in this book we capture what is happening in Europe right now. We went to Jordan, to Lebanon, we went to the countries where, uh, we, where many refugees uh, and migrants also uh, start their journey uh, and then we went to Israel and to many countries in Europe and in the Nordics and trying to understand do they care about migrants who are starting companies basically? What do they do to empower more migrants to become successful entrepreneurs and create new jobs. Um, and we realized that it, in many countries, um, the policy is to get migrants to uh, into jobs. Like they, they are so much, also in Norway, they're so focused on that migrants need to get a job.
0: Right, part of like the integration process is yeah. that you should get a job, but they're not really educating on creating jobs.
1: No, exactly. So they're not talking about uh, that migrants can also create jobs. They don't need to wait for someone to give them a job. They can also create jobs for themselves and for many other migrants and uh, Norwegians and local local people. Right. Um, So that's what we decided to. How can we? There are so many books on and so many material and uh, research on bad side of migration mm-hmm. but then again if you go to people who uh, teach economy or um, uh, political science they all say that uh, migration is good for the economy <laughs> yeah uh, when people are coming and they're getting a job and they're working they're doing the jobs and someone no one else is, wants and eventually they build them up in the society so we wanted to to look at the also positive things with uh, with migration and how can public and private sector do more uh, in order to use all this amazing talent that is in their country uh, that is uh, more uh, willing to take a risk, to think differently and to start a business.
0: Yeah. Were you done with that thought? It looked like you were... I, I can talk for hours. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there was this other sort of sweeping idea that I, I think it's easy to that people can get lumped into these categories right but within the category of m- migrant or whatever I mean, you have people that don't have as many skills you have people that were professors at universities there's all these different um, categories of people and that's with refugees or anything like that so I mean I guess the question is how what are some of the success stories you've seen maybe you can give some real world solutions or success stories from the book. From some of these other countries that you've seen, that may be good directions to consider moving forward for for other countries around the world. Mm.
1: So we see that countries like UK, uh, Sweden, and also Germany are doing really well uh, yeah. with uh, migrants and refugees. So what uh, founders with migrant backgrounds struggle most with is uh, bureaucracy like how is it to start a company how to navigate bureaucracy in a new country new language everything
0: it is difficult
1: <laughs> it is difficult and uh uh i think the easier you make it to, for everyone to create and um sustain a company the more it will affect in a positive way migrants too <laughs> um for example in uk uh, it's it's doesn't cost you anything to register. To to you don't need any capital to start a company.
0: So the idea is easing the laws on entrepreneurship is general lowering the barriers to entrepreneurship. Yes, you
1: you put it, in much, it much better way I, than you know, me. I don't know about that. Yeah. But. Um, so in in Norway it costs three thousand euros to you need to for the capital mm-hmm. uh, in the company, and in Germany it's twenty five thousand euros. So it. It's, yeah,
0: and in America, I think I paid ten dollars to file yeah, the form exactly, in Colorado. Exactly. So
1: it's it's kind of uh, the lower the barrier is to to registering and starting a company, the more people will will do it, especially people with from low income and especially migrants. Right. Um, Another thing we've seen is that network is a really big challenge for, for founders from from diff- with different diverse background. Yeah, um, because if you you kind of you need you need people <laughs> you need an infrastructure uh, to you need mentors or people who can advise you and uh, clients and you need to go to conferences etc. So uh, I think the uh, local chambers of commerce we have them I in mean, norway they're are also in every city in germany mm. um this the more um contact between them and uh, founders with diverse backgrounds would could re- result in in i think in great partnerships yeah um because uh, right now especially in, in germany especially in norway it's there's not a lot of contact between between those two groups you have someone who is doing a a restaurant or a or a ta- a service company uh, with a migrant background and they don't see the value of joining a chamber of commerce if it's all just norwegians there and then n- norwegians in the chamber of commerce don't necessarily see the value don't not necessarily notice the founders with different background because they are less visible in the mm. society all right so it's i think being aware of each other would help a lot mm-hmm. Um, it sounds
0: like you're doing a lot here in Norway to facilitate those connections, right? That's part yeah. of your work,
1: yeah, we we we're trying to we're trying to figure out and also, so we want i I would love to build a tech startup around this. maybe on like governmental technology or 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 more like, I don't know. We're, we're trying to figure it out. Uh, so we're doing different projects, and we're doing research, uh, uh, mapping out uh, how including different cities in Europe are. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually, I think we'll we'll come up with some uh, <laughs> prototype uh, of a tech solution uh, on this because I, I I'm really interested in how can we scale um, scale and contribute that many more. Uh, migrants are succeeding in right. europe yeah you're as, trying to I, I love
0: this i love this the way of thinking because i mean I, you're looking at something like uber you can see it can completely revolutionizes mm. the you know the shared ride or taxi industry but you're saying hey like what what can we do yeah. in our space to make this a better world essentially for all involved Mm. And it's a it's, big question.
1: It's a big question, and it's Europe is is fragmented. You have uh, different countries, different languages. Uh, it is sometimes struggle struggle to find data uh, because mm. a lot of reports are done in German uh, or only in French. So you have to. Right. So, but right now we have people on our team who speak both. Uh, so, who so speak really well German and then eventually we pr- probably need more yeah. more people of different uh, experience so it's different in the US in US you have at least one language and uh, one big country yeah. um, we see that Like in Norway we notice that most of the Norwegians are they all, almost all of them have a job <laughs> and the number of people who want to build a company uh, to start a company is going down so, and at the same time, migrants are the, uh, the ones who are actually starting companies. So how, how can we make public sector especially to realize what potential they have? Yeah. Um, and one of the countries uh, who did it well is actually Israel, because they, once they got many migrants who were refugees from the Soviet Union who moved uh, there in the 90s, at the, be- the beginning it was kind of overwhelming uh, but they managed to uh, um, track their skills uh, in a better way. so they they knew who was who, what kind of skills people were bringing into the country. Mm-hmm. And they managed to set up some public uh, VC funds to that kept investing in in entrepreneurship, and they they had also, they they realized that building network was very important, so they started to connect all those people of different skills with, uh, with the talent they already had in the country. Right. Um, so they, I think they looked at the migration as an opportunity, while in, in Europe we often maybe look at it as a, as a problem.
0: Exactly, yeah, and uh, I think this is what I was loving about the book, going through it, and seeing, obviously, we live in an interconnected world, it's a global economy, time to accept that, right? <laughs> this idea of, hey, we don't have to reinvent the wheel here. You guys are taking a look at other countries that have experienced um, this mass migration in and how they handled this successfully. And this is an incredible way to kind of, I guess, draw out solutions that could potentially work in other places. There's no need to reinvent the wheels, what I'm saying, right? I mean, like, obviously, different things translate to different cultures. But at the same time, when you see people or countries that have done certain things successfully, why not replicate that or see if you can or put your own spin on it? But it's, uh, it's uh, like you said, I mean, combining these different things into one book, I think was a brilliant start to this movement you're trying to further.
1: And it's also about building a community because we've talked to so many people now, we'll have probably talked to over 400 people in Europe yeah. who are working on these issues. Either they are migrants themselves or and are founders or they work w- with helping others to succeed. So, um, and we see that there are s- similar solutions popping up in Germany and in Sweden and in Norway. But all those initiatives are not talking to each other. So that's what also we've been. We we're right now we we building a mm. community of people who are who are involved in this work and who maybe can exchange uh, ideas um, and and kind of build some kind of overview about what is what is happening
0: if anything what can sort of everyday people do to contribute to solutions to some of the issues we discussed today
1: i always encourage people to talk to each other Uh, if you go to uh, to your local store or to your local cafe and just talk to people who are working there yeah um because they probably are migrants (laughs) And uh, they might might need some help with their business, or just you know someone they can talk to and share their ideas. I've I, every time I go and and to a store and I see a good, for example, a good restaurant, I've always talked to the uh, owners and just ask, "Would you like to scale?" Because that's one of the issues we see that for migrant-owned businesses, it's sometimes difficult to scale because you need. More network, and you need capital, and you need some financial advice uh, as well. Um, All that is
0: resonating <laughs> with me. I can tell <laughs> yeah, you that. <laughs> yeah.
1: And I, and I see that there are people who who could have scaled their businesses because they're doing a great business, but they just they don't have the capacity. They don't have the they don't have someone who can push them. And then I see uh, other stuff that are, that is scaling that is probably shouldn't be scaling because they just have the capital. Yeah. Um, so I just, you know, just communicating and getting to know, acknowledging that there are uh, there are many founders around you with a mm-hmm. with a diverse background and uh, um, expanding on your own network as well. Yeah. Um So that's that's one thing. And uh, another thing, I think uh, for the media, I would like to encourage the media to. Um, work harder to find more diverse uh, sources for their articles, especially about entrepreneurship. Hmm. Because there are many, many diverse founders there, but we don't necessarily hear from them. Right. You're not I, hearing
0: about the challenges because they're not...
1: Yeah. And, the, and there's there's actually a report generally on uh, how media uh, writes about migrants and refugees. And in I think over like 70% of the of the articles in Europe that they have looked into... Um, migrants are not the uh, main um, story. They they are mentioned, they are talked about. They're not t- talked with. Right. Um, and in very, very few cases, like 3% migrants are experts or spokespersons in, mm. in the articles. So I think um, the media, and generally everyone who is doing content, uh, any type of content, can be maybe more aware of of... Inviting someone to talk about tech who has migrant uh, diverse backgrounds yeah. or invite someone to talk about entrepreneurship and uh, not necessarily about their own life, but they just contribute as an expert. Um, so I think that, that could also make a difference.
0: If you're in a position to help somebody out, they're a good person. You have the capacity to do that in some way, like all the help you got along the way with your journey. Um, certainly, that's a, that's something to think about I think <laughs> yeah we, I think uh, we're all here to help each other out yeah, uh, you know it's, there's
1: this expectation I, I think there's this expectation that you know, like either you go uh, start a company and go save the world or, or go, yeah, you, you, right. you can also do something like right here right now right and that will be very meaningful and yeah kind
0: circling back here to travel uh, you said in your email you said I was 25 years old when I got my passport and could travel after a lifetime of being a refugee and fleeing from country to country, traveling seemed like the most scary and painful thing to do. Nine years later, I've been to over 40 countries and plan to travel more. I just had to hack it and find my own own way of being a traveler. Certainly listening, if you're listening to Maria's story, you can probably understand where that sentiment is coming from. I'm just curious, how did you hack it and find your own way of being tra- a traveler? What did that mean to you? I've been really excited to ask you this question.
1: Well, I think... The way we talk about traveling is very influenced by the um, maybe more like Western view uh, the, the, the on traveling. Of The,
0: the like, idea of...
1: Yeah, people are talking about go backpacking. And for me, going backpacking, I think that's the most painful, worst thing I can do. Because it for me, it means, okay, you carry all of your stuff. Okay, I've done that as a refugee. <laughs> right. And then you go from place to place. And then the next day, you don't know maybe where you're going to be. Uh, if you haven't booked hotel or anything. So, okay, I've That's done that
0: as a refugee. <laughs> really interesting, right. These are the things that like get people excited about traveling and yeah. these are all the things that like terrify you of
1: it. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I, I don't wanna do that. I love to being spontaneous on my trips, but I also love to, to know where I'm gonna be staying. Mm-hmm. And I love to be staying in a, uh, doesn't have to be super fancy place, but it has to be nice where I feel safe. Uh, And it's also, uh, I also don't, I hate to travel very, like to go through places, like go one, one, one or two days there or like one week there. So uh, when I quit my job as a a journalist and uh, went traveling in 2015, I, I came, I went to Thailand and then I just, I found this very beautiful beach and then just stayed there for the whole month. Really? Uh, But I, I loved it. What beach? Oh. Oh, my do, God. Do it remember? was at Kopanyang. Okay. Yeah. Ton Napai, I think. Yeah. yeah. There were two beaches uh, at, 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 very close to each other. One was super, super relaxed one, and the other one where all the resorts were. Okay. So, it was, like, super fancy. But I You stayed, just hung out? I, I hung out at the... <laughs> oh, it was it was beautiful. And uh, I know that I've, if I if I had planned a schedule, a traveling schedule, and tried to see the whole of uh, Thailand in that month, I... I don't know. I I wouldn't
0: That's that's that kind of stressful so for happy. you. You yeah, associate was, that with uh Yeah, s- and some can, of the anxieties you experienced uh, yeah, as a that refugee. That you, and like and
1: and it's also there's so many times in my life when I had to pack up my stuff and leave a place and never come back. Uh, yeah. like I've I've never been back to my home place where I was born. Uh we just left our home, someone else just took over our place. Um I have been um I have now been back to uh, to some of the places in Finland and in Moscow, but I, I haven't What was that been... like? It's just I'm thirty four now and I still have some kind of anxiety when I'm when I'm gonna go traveling. Even though I'm going traveling to like the most amazing places on earth, I still uh, the evening before, when I have to pack, I have this anxiety. Mm. Like, what if I will? It's, it's, a, it's ingrained in you. What if I leave and I will the, never come they back? They won't let you back. Yeah. in. or or just like I, yeah, I will or something. It's, with it's it. an
0: irrational fear, you know, yeah. intellectually, but you can't help.
1: Yeah, and it's become much better uh, with like meditation and just trying to acknowledge this feeling. You know, not mm. to not to
0: push it. Feel like you are dumb or right. not cool. You know. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, Not to try to be tough, but just to say it's yeah a, just, okay I,
1: this this is what's happening in me and that's okay yeah yeah I mean just, it's,
0: it's very understandable from what you've been through
1: yeah but I still i i I spent all of my money on on traveling uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, because it's once I, once I get on a plane I'm just so happy and excited and once I am in in that country in in a new environment I'm I'm usually very, very happy. So it's kind of, you have to, I'm very happy that I managed to get out of my comfort zone and Mm -hmm. and go to all those places. Yeah. Um,
0: I don't know if this is true or not, but it's almost like, to me, you're sort of reclaiming your power, your freedom, in a way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. Like, I can move around the world now. Mm. I'm allowed to do this. And I've worked hard for this. So so yeah, it's all, me, yeah you kind of try of to
1: uh, try to also <laughs> sometimes do too much because I couldn't travel for so many years right um so it can be also like you're trying to accomplish everything <laughs> to take
0: up for the last time right. Um, I mean, what was it something you thought about before or like when you were younger but then having the refugee experience, you just were like, no way, that's I just want to be in a place where I can I'm yeah. allowed to stay. Well, I, I mean, I, I'm sure yeah. it's the furthest from your mind. At I, that point. I
1: always I grew up with like dreaming of going to Paris, or so I, I I I had a dream of going to Harvard or to Oxford uh, to to study there, uh, or like go to um, New York. Yeah. Um. And until I was 25, I didn't have uh, any opportunity to do that. Right. And even though. When my parents, when we were legal and I was 12 years old, even then, my parents spent all of the time working. So we actually, we nev- almost never had any vacation. So they worked as with their with the companies. And uh, now I'm also building my own company, but I'm trying to set, to plan some travels mm-hmm. during the year because I think you can you will always have time to work <laughs> yeah um and uh, by going out going somewhere completely new you you just um it helps you to work better as well I think right. because it shifts your focus and um inspires you
0: so hacking travel for you was finding your sweet spot in the sense of knowing yourself a bit and knowing that hey i don't want to jump around i don't want to Bring a backpack and live out of it with just few things. I don't wanna like all these things you mentioned, once you kind of change the scripts around that, I I suppose, then you you start yeah. enjoying it and then it became a big part of your life. I mean it's forty countries is quite a lot. <laughs> my my
1: my expectation of traveling was based on the the traveling narrative that i've been exposed to like right. what everything i've read uh, how people go backpacking how people go traveling they just yeah. go to crazy countries and uh, and yeah. i kind of thought if i'm not able to to do the same thing then i i'm not a good traveler <laughs> but then i think at some point i just realized no no it's it's traveling is about your own weigh your own personality like how it's it's not up to others to decide how to travel it's absolutely up to yourself so um so that's that was a way to to hack it is not to expect too much of myself and just you know enjoy and sometimes stay at a nicer hotel yeah if i can
0: i love that you don't want to yeah i mean like you said the narrative that's painted if that's not something that you identify with then you you got to get out and find what travel style is comfortable for you what that means to you and and you can enjoy it in your own way right i think that's hugely important and uh you can only really do that by getting out and doing it right kind of figuring it out or at least just questioning first questioning the narratives if they're not they don't feel right to you and then just getting out and doing it and having the experiences and yeah. there's no right way to travel
1: no no definitely <laughs> not yeah but you should travel i think if I don't know. It's, I love it.
0: Yeah. What has been some of your favorite or maybe one of your favorite travel experiences?
1: I've done, I've, I've, um, during this writing of this book, I went two times to Jordan and I, it was actually my co-founder who said, we have to go to Jordan. And he just booked the tickets and the hotel. And I was a bit scared. Like, I don't know. I, I, I don't know anything about this country. Um, and But I was very happy that we went and I really enjoyed coming back and I want to come back again because it was um, the Amman, the city was very huge and confusing, but also very beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, And I loved why we went to Petra, uh, to this um, UNESCO's World Wonder site. Um, And the next time I will definitely go to Wadi Ram, which is a desert Mm. um, outside of uh, Petra. Uh, where you know the movie martian that's where they found it okay yeah (laughs) Yeah. with the red red desert yeah so i want to go there and spend some time there um and the other amazing experience was uh actually yellowstone
0: oh it's a wonderful Uh,
1: i i just and it's it's it shows how serendipitous the life can be because i uh, I went to, on the trip to Jordan and I met um, Esther, who became part of our team at Startup Migrants. Mm-hmm. And she uh, is actually from uh, Jackson. Oh, really? <laughs> no <laughs> So kidding. she's been a lot at Yellowstone. And it, was, and it happened right at the same time when I was looking at how can I go there. Mm. Um, so I, I just texted my best friend and she said, OK, let's go. So, <laughs> <laughs> nice. so, so she uh, we, yeah we went and we went there last summer. Uh, and we rented a car, like a van. We, how do you call it? sleeper van? We yeah, could sleep in like it. van
0: life. He did like the we had, van life. Yeah,
1: we had, we had like we had a kitchen. We had really? uh, cocktails oh, every man. evening. <laughs>
0: Wait, how was that?
1: It was amazing. We yeah. saw so many anim- animals. We saw bears and even one grizzly bear, <laughs> very far away. Um, and <laughs> we went swimming. We went kayaking. It was it was very, uh, yeah. I I was just very happy that I didn't overthink it. That I just said. Okay, I want to go there, and let's do it. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes you can overthink. Right, and then I think also um, I've also done some sailing in uh, in the northern coast of Norway, mm. and that's something I recommend. It's one of the most beautiful places on earth. Like going through the uh, go to the Lofoten Islands, but by by sailboat because mm. then you get. Completely different. Can you overview. rent
0: boats or charter them, or how did that work?
1: Um, I went with a uh, friend with friends of mine who okay. are who are entrepreneurs and who kind of build a company around doing this kind of trips.
0: Um, yeah. These are good friends to have. I know, they, <laughs> but they like they
1: love. Uh, they're all about sustainability and they love sailing. So yeah. we went to. I went with them. Uh, a couple of times, That's awesome. um, it was it was very beautiful, and you kind of experienced the midnight sun as well, which mm. I find more fascinating uh, did than you northern sleep on the northern lights. Yeah, we slept well, <sighs> uh, one or two this weeks is on the so boat. Awesome. And yeah, and then we went to the northern northern part of Norway to Tromsø. I mean, if, hey, if
0: they want to do a podcast or something. Oh, they I mean, would definitely maybe do that. Get, <laughs> Got to get out on the boat there and record yeah. some audio. No, and it's funny; I can be, this,
1: I can be your assistant. I can join you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, let's do it. It's funny yeah. because I just went sailing for the first time this summer in Oslo oh, Fjord with a friend yeah. of mine. And I was just like, this is awesome. And then I started talking, like interviewed a couple people that were living on boats and sailing. And now you're like, this sailing thing keeps popping up. Yes. And yeah. I, I am very intrigued with the idea of sailing around and sleeping on a boat and all that stuff i get yeah. seasick maybe i'm not sure
1: yeah i, I got it i got to but you eventually it works over off. It. Yeah. you get your yeah. sea legs yeah
0: right yeah. and it sounds like you added a bit of spontaneity into your travel style right you're like oh it's okay to just book a trip at the last minute yeah
1: then, <laughs> like both book uh last minute but also Yeah. Don't overthink it generally. I
0: think uh, one of the last thing I wanted to say when we talked when you were talking about your travel style, I had this thought and then I lost it, but I I got it back again, is it's not just the narrative that you're fed like in media or guidebooks or through conversations or whatever, but it's also your own narrative over time, right? Like I think as you get older, the things you like travel-wise can evolve too. So you have to pay attention to your own narratives and understand if the way you like to travel is actually a part of that anymore because those things change as well. Like now I have two kids. It's kind of easier at least right now to slow travel, to not go as quick or to stay in a place where they have a kitchen where we can, um, Mm. you know, it's just easier to kind of navigate the daily things as opposed to like staying in hostels with the kids, you know, it's just easier to rent an Airbnb or something. So, I mean, these things can change over time. Life changes. Life changes. So pay attention to your own stuff and, (laughs) keep experimenting with that travel style, right? The last thing I wanted to ask you about was, I guess, related to your identity. I mean, I feel like we all develop this identity, whether we want to be attached to it or not. It's kind of, you know, that moment when you wake up and you're like nobody, kind of, and then like your consciousness sort of floods. you know, you're not like quite there yet and you're just like a person on this planet, but you don't have like an identity kind of, and then your consciousness floods in and you're like thinking about all the things you do, you know, and it's like, your mental world kind of whoosh, zaps into your brain. Do you know yeah, what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, that's a really um, funny description. Yeah. Right, so like, but you having lived in so many different places, speaking different languages, being a part of like Finland, for example, and then not being a part of it, being in Norway, having this experience, um, the experiences that you've had, um, do you think about this this question at all? Well, sometimes I I do, because you kind of...
1: In between different cultures, especially I, I feel I feel it strongly when I'm building my business because as an entrepreneur, you're, you're, more, you're more alone. You're not a part of a workplace where you go to every day and you have colleagues and you have network, you have a whole infrastructure around you. Yeah. So as an entrepreneur, you have to actually think more about who you are, uh, what are you capable of, what, what are you not capable of. Uh, wh- where do you need help? And um, and it's very easy also to uh, stress about small stuff. Stress about competitors if they are, or people doing other stuff succeeding, and then suddenly you think, oh no, what I'm doing with my they, they
0: life? Took my idea, <laughs> right? Or yeah. can, can you, can you, comparing yourself? Yeah, it's yeah. it's
1: very easy to to fall down that rabbit hole, mm-hmm. and it's uh, it's damaging, I think. I think it's Oprah said, like if you're in a race, you don't look back. Like when you're running, mm. you don't look on other people running behind you. Right. You look forward. So I... I, I that, that way I think you kind of think more about who you are, uh, your yeah. own identity. And um, I don't know who I am, I think. <laughs> or maybe I know. I just... I'm trying not to base who I am on what I do. I think that's... Mm. I would rather... Um, focus on that. Because it's so easy to, when you're very passionate about your work, it's so easy to think that everything you are is mm-hmm. what your business are. Right. Um, and then your business is failing and then you feel suddenly that you're failing as a person mm-hmm. or or vice versa. So I think uh, it's better to just be who you are and then you have this amazing yeah business around in addition to that.
0: Yeah. Um, it's a part of a way to detach from ego and identity and things like that too. It's like you are not your job. Yeah. Essentially. It does not define you and it does not. um, Yeah. I agree. Like if you don't let that be the defining factor of who you are, it's Mm. a much healthier way to go through life because if the, you know, things change, things get taken away, things Mm. don't work. Yeah that doesn't mean you don't work. Mm. You're not a bad person. But you said you get so wrapped up in it. And specifically, I think with the kind of work you're doing where you're, there's this greater question at stake where you're trying to figure out, okay, how can I help these other people? And, you know, with that service mindset comes another, I mean, I think it's the right way to do it, but it's also yeah. comes this additional sort of, hey, like I, we got to make this work because we got to figure out a way to kind of solve these problems mm. and, I mean I'm sure a lot of motivation yeah. comes from externally from that yeah. that service mindset, right? I mean maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think so. Yeah, no, you're <laughs>
1: completely true. That's why that's why I look a lot into that's why I want to do something that is scalable because then yes, I can support more people, but I can also build a model that doesn't build, build a company, build a tech solution that doesn't exhaust me as a yeah. as a founder because if you're just if I would be just doing um projects on a small scale then um in a, in for, for many years to come then mm-hmm. i won't I, w- I will get exhausted at some point yeah well it's a good
0: old-fashioned uh analogy like in, on the plane they always tell you put the mask on yeah, yourself exactly. first yeah. self-care and all that yeah. well um hmm. what an incredible story Thank you for taking so much time thank you not know. I didn't know
1: you wanted to <laughs> to go through the whole thing. Oh, we were going to dive thing. deep. I needed to hear it <laughs> yeah. all. I mean, yeah. this is...
0: I wanted to hear all this uh, from you. So um, I just really respect what you've done, what you've been through, what you're doing. Um, I really appreciate your time today and sharing it with all of us. And uh, I do like to high-five it out when we're in person here so <laughs> we could do that. I know we had one earlier, but yeah. I, I need to get a closing one. And uh, if you want to just remind everybody where they can find you and learn more about you. You can feel free to share. um, Yeah, well, thank
1: you so much for hosting me, first first and foremost. Uh, And I have been listening to your podcast and and trying to hack uh, traveling while I was (laughs) listening it. So I found a lot of useful advice as well. Um, When it comes to me, I'm on my email. Everything is on startupmigrants.com. Um, super easy to find. I'm also on uh, my own blog, uh, Um and our book is on Amazon um, uh, and also in every Norwegian bookstore if you're in Norway <laughs> uh, and it's called uh, Startup Migrants. Um, in Norwegian bookstores, it's called Grenseløse Grundere. Um, <laughs> f- founders Without bo- Boundaries. Um, so, yeah, that's that's me, and I, I mean I'm over every social media as well. So I'll be happy to to hear from listeners who are maybe founders themselves with diverse background, or or maybe who have uh, any ideas on what they want to do. Uh, maybe they want to start a company themselves.
0: It's been a pleasure getting to know you, and I look forward to. We live in the same city, so I really look forward to having more. Uh, fun conversations with you and hanging out a bit
1: definitely we can go to some startup events and inspire people (laughs) sounds great
0: all right thank you so much thank you take care there you have it hope you enjoyed listening into my chat with maria i so appreciate her time and just sharing that story which i know can't be easy kind of reliving some of that stuff We had just a wonderful conversation. I look forward to staying in touch with her as we're living in the same city and just continuing to learn from her. It's a totally different perspective that uh, this is one of the things I love so much about this podcast. I get to talk to these amazing people from these diverse backgrounds and to hear their perspectives and to share them with you. It's a beautiful thing we have here and I appreciate you being a part of it, my friend. Thank you so much for hanging out. You could be doing a lot of things right now you're listening to this podcast. Thanks. Drop me a line anytime. Jason at ZeroToTravel.com. This is a community-powered show. Let me know what you're up to. And of course, as I mentioned before, hop on the email list, zerototravel.com, giving away that exclusive audio bonus right now. And uh, you can just be looped in on all the stuff we have going on, the stuff that gets published off the podcast. Just put out an article on round-the-world tickets, for example, um, seeing if that's something that's right for you. So we're always trying to just, yeah, give you some useful stuff to help you travel the world. That's what this is all about. And thanks for being a part of this community. Um, The topic today of migration. Such an important one. I was on UN.org, United Nations. They said there are now an estimated 258 million people living in a country other than their country of birth, an increase of 49% since 2000. This is from a 2017 report. This is actually a couple years old. Um, They said international migration is a critical concern for the implementation of the 2030 agenda for sustainable development. Of course, climate change is only going to add to migration because... It's going to, so we don't need to get into all that, but, uh, just an important topic and hope you enjoyed learning more about it today. Like I did quick. Thanks. Once again, to Tortuga backpacks for supporting today's show. Before I leave you with a quote, I just want to remind you zero to travel.com slash Tortuga is that link that will take you to the page with all the backpacks and travel gear. I recommend from them, and it will also give you 10% off just for being a listener of this show. Grab one of their packs. You can use them to travel for three weeks, three months, three years. I love the Tortuga Outbreaker. I love the Outbreaker Day Pack. Um, I got the home base that I use regularly. Just got to check their stuff out. ZeroToTravel.com slash Tortuga. Go to that link. Get that discount. You'll also be supporting today's show so you don't have to do a bunch of research. Get yourself a little gift or get a gift for another traveler in your family who you love. They got incredible stuff and been longtime supporters of this show so thanks to them for being a part of this whole thing and this whole community here now before i let you go a quote it's always good to end up on a quote this one's from emma lazarus might sound familiar to you she said give me your tired your poor your huddled masses yearning to breathe free Thanks again for your time, and I will see you next time. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by
1: Zerototravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.